Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. In just a minute, I'll be joined by New York City Comptroller Brad Lander, a Democrat, uh, relatively new still to the position, our first time having Comptroller Lander back on the show as the New York City Comptroller in his new citywide perch. We have a lot to discuss with him as we are talking here on the day that Mayor Eric Adams, also new to his position, obviously, has released his first preliminary budget plan for the next city fiscal year, which begins July 1st of this year. Uh, and much more to discuss with Controller Lander in just a second. Uh, very quickly, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. I've had some really interesting conversations with elected officials, appointed officials, advocates, experts, and others. Uh, we've been talking about issues like cryptocurrency, housing policy. We've been talking about the crisis of untreated severe mental illness, been talking with lawmakers about state budget hearings, State Senator Liz Kruger, who's co-chairing those hearings uh, in the state legislature, and much more at the city level. I've recently spoken with City Council Member Sandy Nurse, who's chairing the, the Council's Sanitation Committee, a really interesting conversation there on waste and recycling and issues related to public safety that are involved there and climate change and much more. And then also uh, gathered recently three city council members who are chairing the council's committees on health, hospitals, and mental health. Uh, and that was a very interesting conversation about their approach to uh, chairing those very interesting and, of course, especially during the COVID pandemic, important committees. Uh, but uh, I, I won't go into any further detail about recent guests. As I said, find any or all of those episodes at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts and or at the Gotham Gazette website. New York City Comptroller Brad Lander, thank you for joining me. And it's so wonderful to be back with you. I went back and listened to a couple of those shows in preparation, and I definitely urge your listeners to as well. All right, good. When I uh, spoke uh, a few weeks ago now with uh, former Deputy Mayor and City Housing Commissioner Vicki Bean, uh, I thought that one might be of particular interest to you on, on housing policy, which I know is, a, is an issue uh, close to your heart. So if you didn't catch that one. Uh, it really is. Although the one I learned the most from was from the doctor that you had on to talk about how to understand the mental health crisis and what kinds of interventions we really need. And I've just been thinking about that a lot because, of course, people ask me, are you auditing Thrive? What happened to the money? And I, you know, at the same time, we really need to know what evidence shows about what programs work. I think everyone understands that, you know, what we want for folks who are homeless and in many cases, you know, in some cases, mentally ill on the subways or on the streets are programs that work to help them get into stable housing, to get the mental health care that they need, that that's best for them. And of course, also makes people feel more comfortable to ride the subway and, you know, we just spend a lot more on policing than we do on mental health care and supportive housing. But we also want to know that we're investing in things that are really going to work. So anyway, I, I enjoyed that. And Thank it's you. actually one of the things I'm going to be digging in on on the budget that we're going to okay. talk about. Good, good. Yes, that was uh, Harvey Rosenthal of the New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitation Services. My first time speaking with him and he was he was very interesting. Um, OK, great. So Mayor Eric Adams uh, has released today his preliminary budget for the next fiscal year. This sets off a, a lengthy process, uh, 
city council hearings, your evaluation, negotiations, the executive budget, all the way leading up to the adopted budget due by July 1st for the city's next fiscal year. Also in that mix, of course, will be the state budget that is supposed to come in by April 1st, the start of the state's new fiscal year. So initial sort of top line reactions from you uh, to the mayor's preliminary budget and what you'll be doing next. As you say, this really is a very first step. There are some things reflected in this budget, you know, like the federal resources that we're getting, um, like the fact that the economy is doing better than we had projected. Property values are actually much higher than they had been projected to be. And so there's over this year and next $2.3 billion more in revenue than, than we had expected. But there's a long way to go. There's some things reflected in this budget, a lot not yet reflected in it. So I'll give you some top lines. Um, first, there are some things I really like. I will say seeing 100,000 summer youth jobs, that's a great investment. We know that kids need something like that always, but especially coming out of the pandemic, the number has never been that high before. One other good thing about that is it doesn't create a long-term obligation. That's a good use of federal funding to spend on a massive program this summer. I hope we can do it again the following summer, but you don't you know, hire someone up and create a long-term recurring obligation. So that's a good investment and fiscally prudent as well. I like baseline funding for the fair fares program to help low-income New Yorkers afford to ride the subways and buses. And there's some other good things as well. Um, there are some things we really need to see. I will say that um, the current plan, it does not include a credible effort to build up long-term fiscal reserves. Um, there's one good step, which is that he stopped showing this illusory $500 million in labor savings that uh, Mayor de Blasio showed every year without ever actually achieving it. Mm. Um, and so uh, Mayor Adams has just taken that out of the budget and said, we're not going to pretend anymore. But there really is not meaningful depositing into the rainy day fund. And that's in a significant contrast to Governor Hochul's budget last week. I mean, she had even a lot more revenue to work with, but that budget is balanced in every year of the four-year plan and keeps investing in the rainy day fund to get up to 15% of revenues. This just doesn't come anywhere close on that. So a long way to go on fiscal reserves and resilience. Um, I do want to see more evidence-based investment in supportive housing and mental health outreach that we were just talking about, given the public safety challenges. Um, I We really need more information about the one-time federal spending. We can talk a little more about that, but there just is not enough clarity. Um, and then I also really dig in and focus on the capital budget because the way we get ready for the future storms that are coming, you know, we're six months by, you know, past Ida and now coming up on 10 years past Superstorm Sandy. And it's not at all clear to me that we're making the resilience investments that we need for the next crisis. So those are all things that I'll be digging in on in the, in the weeks and months to come as I go testify to the council. Um, yeah, and you know, list. yeah, that, that, that's a good and helpful list. Um, let's stick with a couple of those things. One, the federal funding. You, I believe, had a bill when you were in the city council last year that would have mandated a track, a public tracking of how federal relief funds are being spent. Um, What's the status of that? Are you going to stand up your own tracker as controller? Uh, any conversations with the Adams administration about how they can do that proactively? What's the status of, of giving a lot more sunlight uh, to that? 
Absolutely. You know, this is a, a one-time really important opportunity. And as we come through the pandemic, spending that $24 billion in aid we're receiving is, it's just so important to do it well to help our kids recover socially, emotionally, academically, um, to help our economy open up again, invest in small businesses, keep the resilience that we need because there, there could easily be another surge and we've got to be at the ready with testing in a way that we weren't at the beginning of Omicron. It's not easy right now to know precisely where resources are being spent and what the outcomes that we're getting for them. OMB had put some information up, but actually it's just not, doesn't, doesn't go, doesn't provide the transparency that is needed. So my office is working on some of that. And in the coming days, we anticipate um, putting out some tracking information that we are able to provide from the budget. And I'm, I'm looking really forward to, to doing that. I think we'll have that out in the next, in the next couple of weeks. But I really also want to call on OMB and the mayor for some greater transparency, especially around the outcomes of those dollars. Like our office will be able to tell you what was budgeted and what was spent in some pretty broad categories. But if you want to say, okay, I know that some of that money was spent on social and emotional recovery of our young people in schools, you know, we can show you where the contract was, how much we budgeted and how much we spent. But if you want to say, okay, tell me some outcomes of that work. Is it working? Is this a good resource? Did it mean kids got extra tutoring? Did it mean some uh, young people were referred for support services that they need? Um, we don't have enough of that. So we're we're actually asking the chancellor in a letter we're sending and then just generally asking the mayor and the budget director. Obviously, not everything has an outcome. Some of that money was just used to fill gaps in the budget and that was appropriate. But let's be clear, if the money was used to fill a budget gap, fine, we say this money was used to fill a budget gap. Mm -hmm. If the money went for academic recovery for young people, let's make sure there's some outcomes so we can see what happened. Mm -hmm. Mayor Adams campaigned quite a bit. Everybody, of course, focused on, on, on public safety and policing. He also campaigned a lot on education, early childhood education, uh, all, all through uh, the education system. And he also campaigned very much on just sort of making government work better, on efficiency, on real-time governance, on transparency, and on outcomes. So it would seem like this type of thing would be right up his alley, but of course now he's mayor, so you know he'd have to actually do those things. Um, we have some of that exactly in that letter to the chancellor. Yeah. Like we've heard you say how you know much you want to be a, may a chancellor, a mayor, and a chancellor focused on both transparency and outcomes. So here's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. And and that would look like them standing up their own dashboards to say here's where the different you know streams of money are going. Here's what they're funding, and here's the ongoing, potentially real-time, as the mayor's talked about, outcomes of, of that spending? I think we'll be able to do a fair amount of the basic dashboard of what was budgeted and what's been spent so far. Um, so what I'm really hoping from them is to identify areas where it's possible to talk about what the outcomes of that spending are. We'd be glad to incorporate that into what, into what we put up. We're glad to have that be in what DOE or OMB puts up. Um, and look, this can't be done on, on every area. Plenty of these things were stood up in the prior administration. So, uh, you know, I think we want to be realistic. Um, but yes, we're not getting this $24 billion again. 
Um, about half of it still has not been spent. So there really are very meaningful decisions to make. And as we're getting started and spending the remainder of it, um, it's just critical that we that we do it with a with a real framework for getting the best out of those dollars. The federal infrastructure money um, th- that again goes to the capital side of the budget. Very often, we're mostly focused on the expense side, which is you know where a lot of the focus will be here about the mayor's preliminary budget, which was is in the neighborhood of a hundred billion dollars. Um, but then there's a separate capital budget, and there's this major influx of, of funding coming in from the federal government, from the infrastructure law. Um, what's what's happening there, and and how is that federal funding going to relate to the city's capital plan and capital budget? And what are you most attuned to on that front? This is a critical question. So there's nothing reflected in the capital budget today, including the federal infrastructure funds. Right now, what we have in the capital budget is the money the city essentially is is borrowing in in underwriting bonds that my office and the mayor's office work together. And and there's some good new investments in there, some bridge replacements. Um, But using the federal infrastructure dollars for sort of the same reason, we're not going to get this much again for a, a generation. And I give one example of how the federal money and the city capital can really go together. The the federal money is very largely uh, for roadways. You know, that's just like what, as you, you know, negotiating Mm -hmm. a bill with all around the country, too much of it, in my opinion, is for roads. It should be more for mass transit and public housing and climate infrastructure. But we could be smart because we need to be doing a lot of flood uh, resilience and sewer work that we saw, especially in Hurricane Ida. Now, you know, the streets and the sewers, they're in the very same places, you know? So what we ought to do is look at that federal infrastructure bill, make a plan to use it for street reconstruction, matched with the city money doing the sewers right underneath it. And we should choose the streets, not only based on what, you know, roads have potholes, though that's one lens, but where we need to do street reconstruction in order to be able to put new sewer, both gray and green infrastructure in the ground. So that's the kind of lens we're pushing City Hall to take. That work has not been done yet. There is not a strategic or proactive infrastructure plan. Usually what happens is just each agency says, here's the things we like. You know, We wanna make this improvement in this park or this library needs a new roof. And that's one input, but when you get this much federal money, you gotta have a strategic plan that puts climate resilience at the top of the list, that knits the federal and the local money together with a real strategic long-term eye toward what are the most important infrastructure investments. And then one final opportunity is this is the first time that a federal infrastructure bill allows you to ensure local hiring In the past, that's actually been prohibited by federal legislation, but now it's explicitly allowed. So when the MTA goes to build the next leg of the Second Avenue subway, they'll be allowed to hire residents of East Harlem to do the work. Um, So that's one more opportunity to just make sure that federal legislation really reaches the ground in terms of good jobs for New Yorkers. Yeah, and, and we've obviously seen you know some persistently high unemployment in the city, especially among uh, people of color, especially among people who were uh, in lower wage jobs that relied a lot on tourism and commuters and and so forth. Um, but that but seems like the infrastructure spending you know is is a little ways away, obviously yeah. to, to create those jobs. Um, 
on on infrastructure spending, whether it's the city's current capital plan or this huge infusion of federal dollars that will you know supercharge the city's capital spending, uh, you focused on in the past on tracking capital projects, on trying to get more both transparency and often transparency helps lead to you know efficiency and putting you know a, a fire uh, under some people where it's needed. Um, but New York City. Uh, and the MTA, which is obviously not under the control of the city, but but New York City government and the MTA, which you do as controller uh, audit and investigate as well, and the city obviously has an immense stake in, uh, have had huge problems with delivering capital projects on time and at a at not even on budget. I mean, the budgeted amounts they wind up increasing, but they're they're already always too yeah. high to begin with. What can realistically be done here to reduce these construction costs in New York City and deliver capital projects for less money than they're costing and on time? What's 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 going to happen here? And your new perch, what can you get done on this? You're right. This is a big problem. More than half of city capital projects go over time, go over budget, as you say, some of them outrageously so. And they already had big budgets to begin with. You can't even currently just track city capital projects through implementation. I passed a bill now coming up on two years ago to require it, and there's work going to stand it up, but it does not exist yet. And you know what we don't measure, we don't manage. Um, I have optimism here, uh, partly in my office, we're really gearing up to work on this and we've got a great team, but I'm very pleased that first deputy mayor, Lorraine Grillo, she really cares about this. She ran the school construction authority and made real progress there, that agency is not perfect, but it is so much better than it was before her leadership. And she and I have already started talking about exactly this. Um, I've already found two places in the in the process. I think we can make uh, make some improvements. Um, one is that I was stunned to learn, but I only learned this as controller. Every project over ten million dollars, which is you know the big capital projects. The city's Office of Management and Budget, OMB, reviews it not once, but twice with two totally separate teams of people, the exact same contract, once on behalf of the city and once on behalf of the Financial Control Board created in the 1970s. You might not even have known that it still exists. Um, and yet they delegate a contract review. So it's just like one just totally unnecessary example. We also, under this thing called Local Law 63, um, every single capital contract that has design separate from construction, and, and now there's more design bill, but still most contracts, you know, first you have an architect design it, and then you have a contractor build it. We wait as much as 60 days uh, before we put the RFP out for the designer. So this is the very beginning. You haven't even designed the project. Once upon a time, the city had in-house designers, and this was designed to protect them from losing their jobs through outsourcing. But we hire external architects for basically every city capital project. We do not need to wait two months to see whether it can be done in-house. That's just two things I found in the first few weeks. So um, th this is something our office is really gonna be drilling down on. And, and I'm optimistic that that the mayor, the deputy mayor Grillo especially really wants to work on this with us. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, a lot more to discuss there down the line. Want to try to touch on a few other things with you. Um, let me ask you a few. I want to get to this report that you put out with the mayor's office, a task force report on on nonprofit contracting, which is extremely important. I want to get to that in a minute. Let me ask you a few sort of 
uh, I don't know, kind of quick, quick uh, answer questions here. Um, what's one thing that you have early on changed about the way the controller's office functions, if anything yet? I know it's only about six weeks or so, but it, have you come in and made any sort of change about the way that, that your office uh, works or, or focus well, areas? This really points forward to the conversation we're going to have in a second about um, nonprofit contracting. Mm -hmm. During the prior uh, administration, the relationship between the mayor and the controller just got so toxic that in the audit space, um, there just wasn't a real openness to, okay, let's find a problem and work together to figure out how it gets solved. Um, and I've said, you know, you've heard Mayor Adams say he wants me to audit the hell out of his agencies, and we're going to do that, but with an eye to being constructive, because the commissioner or the deputy mayors have to then make the changes. Um, and then on contracting in particular, um, the controller has a role. Obviously, the mayoral agencies have a, a, a significant role. And what has happened is just a kind of finger pointing uh, and blaming and we've really reset the tone there and started working right away to get contracts paid on time, to identify uh, barriers together. And you can already feel the difference that that is making in dialogue with agency commissioners, with the MOX director and with my office. Well, let's stick with that then. Um, let's let's keep going on that. I'll, I'll put aside my other quick questions uh, maybe for, for the end of our conversation here or another time. What, what are the concrete steps that are going to be taken by city government, your office, the mayor's office to, to fix this issue. Um, in brief, you know, the issue basically is that the city is relying on uh, hundreds, uh, do dozens and dozens at least of, of nonprofit uh, contractors. Thousands. Thousands, actually, thousands yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, thousands of nonprofit contractors to provide essential services, right? The city government doesn't do it. There's a whole discussion we could have another time about whether the city government should be doing some of these things and, and so forth. But that is the case. Billions of dollars uh, these service providers often doing some of the most essential services for the people most in need are having all sorts of issues, getting paid on time, uh, getting, uh, having it accounted for their overhead uh, and paying their employees enough and so forth. Things have been broken. That's why you announced this joint task force. You've put forward the report. What are the big concrete steps here that are going to happen? Yeah. You know, and for your listeners, you know, these are the folks who deliver meals to homebound seniors or run after school programs or homeless outreach programs. So much of the essential. It's not all social service work. There's arts and culture nonprofits and sports leagues, but the biggest chunk are those human service nonprofits. And right now, you know, there's no time frames to guide city procurement. Um, uh, agencies can't easily see where their contract is in the system. There's no performance indicators to look at agencies and judge whether they're meeting their timelines because there are neither timelines nor tracking uh, either one. So um, it's no surprise as a result of that, that the process has just grown and grown and grown. You know, there's a contracting agency like the Department for the Aging in the case of those senior meals it takes a while there for them to put out an RFP and procure. But then even after all that's done, it goes to the law department, to the Office of Management and Budget. If it's over $10 million, it goes to the Office of Management and Budget twice. The law department, the mayor's office of contracts, 
um, all of that before it comes here for registration. Now we have to register contracts within 30 days, but we're the only ones with a time frame. So um, City Hall has agreed to start uh, the process of putting timeframes in place for the other parts of the process. That is gonna be possible because of a new digital procurement system called Passport that the city put in place about a year ago. There's still some work to do to get everybody using it and using it productively. Um, with that data, we're gonna establish timeframes and then you know, have regular monthly meetings. We're planning to call them contract stat um, so that you can see which agencies are meeting their deadlines, which agencies are behind, um, and then provide the support necessary both to agency staff and to contractors. So there's a, you know, the, the report's on our website at comptroller.nyc.gov, but it is joint with City Hall. Um, and this speaks to what we were talking about before. We could put out a report pointing out all the problems, but it really is by reaching out across to City Hall and saying, let's partner on solutions. Um, and we're really committed to it. It's hard work. No one has seen a check since we announced the uh, this on Monday, but I think we're on the cusp of making some very in the weeds, but really important change. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, the six weeks or so you've been in office, have you come in and, uh, you know, people often don't understand that the way that the controller's office works, you know, audits of city agencies or a part of a city agency or program, you know, these take a long time. And so a lot of times, you know, we wind up seeing the results of an audit a year after it's begun. Yeah. Um, but did you come in in these six weeks and say to the audit division, um, here are two or three that I really want you to get going on. Are there are there a couple of specifics you can share with us about? Yes, you know priorities. Uh, yeah, please. Yes, we put out a couple audits, as you say, that were started in in the previous in the Stringer administration. One on NYPD civilianization and one on families being rejected for shelter. Both of which I thought were interesting, and we're working with the agencies to make change on. Um, I came in really wanting us to focus on the Department of Corrections, given the crisis at Rikers. The fact that a very substantial number of, of corrections officers aren't showing up for work, but we're still paying them. And so um, actually in my first week, uh, the Department of Corrections submitted to us for registration an emergency contract uh, asking because of the staffing challenges to procure some expanded private commissary services. And we said, okay, that's a reasonable request for a year, but we need to dig in. And we gave a whole set of information to the corrections commissioner that we would like them to provide us information so we can do you know, more regular reporting and on a more rapid timeline than a normal audit would cover. Um, so that's one. We talked about the COVID spending before I asked my team to make sure we could move quickly to track that pandemic spending. Um, and as I say, we hope to have that up in the next couple of weeks. Sorry, on correction, is there a, a, a specific uh, aspect? It, it, it's the personnel? Two, two things there, two or three things. I mean, so first there is this, because a lot of people aren't reporting to work, there is a daily staffing crisis with many posts uncovered. When I was out there in the fall, I talked to some medical staff who had a list of 50 detainees that they were supposed to see for medical needs. And that day, only two of them had made it because there was not a person that could just accompany someone from their cell to the, to the medical clinic. So we do have some requests about, and it's just not easy to get 
uh, how many staff are there every day, how many posts are covered or uncovered, how many people are seeing their doctors, some of those basic things. So there is a critical set of basic information. I also, with the budget now out, really do want to drill down on the longer term uh, questions about Rikers because the mayor has said he is continuing the plan toward closing Rikers and the, the money for the borough-based jails is in the capital budget. However, that plan projects to build 3,300 um, uh, cells, um, but there also needs to be an ambitious plan to reduce the number of people incarcerated on a daily basis awaiting trial from now over 5,000 uh, down to 3,300. And it's not clear to me that the programs are in place to try to do that. So the budget is a real opportunity to ask that question. Is there a mismatch between the capital plan for Rikers and the, the corrections um, and enforcement plan? Because we sure don't want to get to a place where we build those new 3,300 um, beds but there's 7,000 people incarcerated on a daily basis. And um, so that is also something that's a little longer term, but we're definitely mm -hmm. going to be drilling down on that. Yeah, that's, uh, I've had some similar thoughts. And so uh, there might be a Gotham Gazette story on the subject in the near future. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about that, especially as the mayor has, you know, presented a lot of his public safety plans. Last question, uh, similar vein, but on the policy side, obviously the comptroller's office has a, a strong, robust policy shop. It's not the main function of the office or, or among the top, you know, mandated functions, but it's it's part of the office. Uh, a policy person yourself, did you come in and say, I really want to work on policy reports to try to present a vision on X and Y? Are there any of those in, in the works that we should know about? And it won't surprise you that affordable housing is uh, high on my list. It's something that has been important to me my whole career, but remains the top, the number one issue, even with you know public safety spiking. If you poll people, what's your biggest concern? Housing affordability is just way up there. So we're working currently on the 421A property tax exemption on some new models for affordable cooperative housing, pushing for good cause eviction protections in light of some predatory equity landlords like Greenbrook in Brooklyn. Um, and a lot of that will be coming out in the near in the near future. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Uh, lots more to discuss in the future. But uh, Comptroller Brad Lander, thanks for taking the time and sharing some thoughts with us. Great to talk to you as always. And yeah, thanks for all your work.